You can eat because you, 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 you have soft food. I have I hard it, food. It's sometimes it's charming to hear people eat on the radio right. show. I, I Feels like you're sit, hanging out, especially with them. if they're wearing headphones and it's right in their fucking ears. <laughs> Speaking of headphones, can I borrow a pair of these today? Yeah, I broke my headphones. Sure. I mean, like Take those. literally, it. As long ripped. as you bring them back to the storeroom next Friday, <laughs> yeah. fine. So uh, okay, we can go now. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast. And we're back. Oh, fuck. All right, one, <laughs> two. Three. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat. And I'm Mike. And today on RMA, Nat comes back from a relaxing vacation with his family and Mike laments oh, yeah. all the assholes he meets in recovery land. Yeah. Um, how you doing, guys? Great to be back another week. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and more. Great reviews will be read on the show. And in fact, yeah. I put it towards the end. Really? Yeah. Do you want to do it now? Let's do it now. All right. So I always like tooting our own horn at the beginning. Is that a euphemism? It, it's whatever you want it to be. <laughs> yeah, I see it. So we got two great <laughs> reviews and we really, really appreciate it. You want to read them, Mike? You want me to read them? Yeah. Because you said on the Facebook page that you were going to read them. I took note of that. Okay. So why don't you read one and I'll read the other. All right. I'll do the first one. This is from Ryan Triple J Chicago. It's a five-star review. And he says, honestly, I'm in the midst of a massive struggle with addiction right now. Mm. I found you guys a week or so ago and have binged a good 10 episodes. That's right awesome. on, Ryan. Although a regular attendee of AA, I can't seem to get sober using their model. Mm, it began to make me feel unworthy. Or as if something was wrong with me. See, mm -hmm. that's the problem. To hear you guys talk about alternatives to AA, honestly, gave me a huge light at the end of the tunnel. Realizing this recovery deal can be done other ways. Love the show. Please keep making it. You have a new every week listener. Ryan, thank you thank so you. much for made those kind day. words. It actually made my day. Seriously. Too. I felt... Uh, Totally validated by what we were doing here in the storeroom. Um, and that's why we do it, guys. Yeah. You know? It's not because we like each other's company. Yeah. <laughs> or do we? Well, is it is seeking outside yes, validation? Of course we do. Is that like an addict thing where you're looking for outside validation and like we we like it fuels us? Or for me, like yeah. compliments. Well, I mean any positive reinforcement is gonna continue. Uh, the the behavior that's receiving the reinforcement, right? Yeah, like I, I think it's just normal human, you know. Yeah, need it is to be validated. I mean, I always hear people like celebrities or musicians saying that, like, if I could just touch one person, it would make it all worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And normally, I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. But I can tell you that that's true for it, us. It is. It is. It true. really does. You know, just even one person. Yeah, um, and, and we that, we touched two people this week. We did. Want to read the second one? Sure. This is from not quite a not quite middle aged Kim, um, who I'm not going to read her last name, but uh, Kim says I live a very suburban lifestyle, and it's sometimes hard to find people who can relate to that within the realm of recovery podcasts. Mike and Nat are relatable, likable, and make you feel like you're right there in the room with them. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, you don't want to be right here in the room with us, though. It's <laughs> we got, it's I got a, a request crowded. recently from a buddy of mine who wanted to sit in on it. And I'm like, there's not really room in here. And I don't know if I'd be comfortable having an audience in the storeroom of my shop. It would be really weird. You know, a lot of podcasts do. Um, like Joe Rogan does that, right? 
well, we're not Joe Rogan yet. Yet. But that's one of the um, But a lot of podcasts do like a live thing, you know, they'll do it on stage. And those yeah. episodes I always find are weird because yep. they, they're never like the other ones because it's not. the chemistry is all different. Cause you're, yeah, you're looking at people for reactions, yeah. you know, you can't help yourself. How can you not be conscious of like a couple hundred people, yeah. you know, sitting right in? Yeah, it would drive me nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what else? We also have a your story that we're not going to get to today. We have a story, Jeff. though. <laughs> we which, do have a story. Do you know which Jeff's story it is? Ah! ah. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> uh, Jeff, the printer guy. Printer Jeff. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, Oh, and Jeff from mm-hmm. Tacoma, I don't think your shirt's coming in this week. Hang on, Jeff. It's, it'll be there. I, I am ordering shirts today. I promise. I know I say okay. that every week, but this week I really <laughs> am going to do it. So uh, Nat, mm-hmm. you went on mm-hmm. vacation with your family, did you not recently? I, I did go on vacation. How did you know? <laughs> it's the next thing on the outline. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. You know, we haven't been anywhere like like many people right now because of COVID. Um, you know, everything is more difficult now. Mm-hmm. And uh, But finally, like the, the upside to COVID is that any vacations you would normally not be able to afford mm. are like 80% off. That's you know? true. So there's just one place we like to go to uh, in another state. And uh, it's really like a campy kind of like, it's not a big drinking atmosphere really. <clears throat> At least the people aren't openly like doing shots and stuff like right. that. Yeah. But uh, it's really just like there's scavenger hunts, go-karts. It's family did, place. It's yeah. geared towards families. Exactly. Not families with Drunk parents, <laughs> right, typically. Right. I mean, people are like definitely a drinking ship or something. Yeah, you know, like my wife has a daiquiri or something like that. Right, and uh, I don't mind. She got me a virgin daiquiri, and I was perfectly happy with that. Strawberry, um, or regular. It was a strawberry. Mm. I like strawberry. Strawberry daiquiris. There's no floater. They're known though. as smoothies. Oh, they are. Right. Known as- <laughs> well, right. I mean, which you can get at a local restaurant through a drive-through. Have you got, does Aaron done that yet? But it's got alcohol in it. Well, that one does. Yeah. Yeah. But now I always thought that was a little weird to have drive through daiquiris. It but seems I, illegal. Isn't it illegal? It used to be, but like, now it's legal. But how? You because COVID, just... uh, you're allowed to drink anytime, anywhere, apparently. <laughs> this is a COVID. Um, <laughs> but this is not an unheard of um, thing in other states, like southern states. And I remember moving a friend down to Kentucky, was it, for a little while? And they had drive through liquor stores and all that. And That's amazing. Yeah. How's that? How's that? Um, how's that coffee ring you're eating there? Yeah, so I'm on a diet. <laughs> I wanted to talk about my diet, and uh, my diet and plan has basically been: don't eat anything. Oh, that, that's healthy. <laughs> and like, if I would get too hungry, I have like a lollipop, and then by the time I, if I can make it to dinner, and I have you know a good dinner, and I've lost about 15 pounds in the last three months. Wow! And now I'm starting to get a lot of comments. <laughs> So basically two um, lollipops a day and then a sensible dinner. And a sensible that dinner. That seems like a, a like that slim fast shake thing from the <laughs> Which 80s. would probably be better if I added a shake. But I reached my goal of weight to lose, so now I'm starting to eat again. You, and, okay. Uh, so so that, you're not, that's gonna, why you're not planning on continuing on until you disappear? No, no, no. Because I'm getting very... I'm going to disappear. Like, you you know, I'm getting very agitated. You know, I can definitely sense uh, there is like an edge Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sick of it. So not that that this is on the outline, but um, you have to be careful because I've noticed, 
Well, a couple of things. First thing, there's an awful lot of ex-drug um, users and alcoholics who become very compulsive about things like diet and exercise. I, and yeah. there's a term for that. It's called orthoexia. Have you, really? have you heard of this term? How is orthoexia different from anorexia? Uh, I'll tell you, uh, I'm not an expert on anorexia, but orthoexia, I battled with this a little bit back in, uh, back in the nineties when I, when I came off the crack and I started, uh, compulsively exercising, really? I also became a macrobiotic vegan. Macrobiotic, I don't know. <laughs> a lot of brown rice and very little else. Um, and I got to the point where I, I had got down to like in the one fifties, I was also working as a, as a bike messenger. 150? Uh, yeah. 150. And you're like six two? Um, 5'11", but I got, I got up to 157 wow. um, or down to, but I was, so I was running five miles a day and working as a bike messenger in Manhattan. So I was essentially exercising well in excess of the amount of food I was taking yeah. in. But I was like, I was so into it. Uh, it's when you like obsessively focus, yeah. orthoexia is when you obsessively focus on what's going into your body and yeah. exercising and all this other stuff. And you get into this cycle where you just this continued weight loss. And I, my theory is, that that is all also wrapped up in self-esteem and that what you're trying to do it's is true. make yourself in, like invisible or something. That, that and I totally agree. And I was starting to worry a little bit just because I was kind of compulsively not eating, you know, because mm -hmm. I started to sound like I can see my abs. Right. And once I could see my abs, I was like, okay, yeah. got to go another couple days, you know? And, uh, you know, so I get comments from people like the deli next door because I haven't been going there for three meals a day. <laughs> and when I do go in, they no be bacon. like, you're too thin, man. I'm like, what is too thin? You can never be too thin. But well, to a deli owner, everyone's too thin, right? <laughs> you know, They're selling sandwiches. You know, so it made me self-conscious. And I'm like, I don't want people to think I'm so, like a heroin addict, you know, uh, because. <laughs> that would be ironic. Yeah. Huh? You know, I'm like, no, I'm healthy now. <laughs> and uh, I was 130 pounds. 128 I got down to. Wow. At the height of my heroin addiction. So I'm not there. I'm 162. Okay. And I asked my wife, you know, because ultimately if she likes it, we keep it. If she doesn't, I do something different. <laughs> and that's how we stay happy. <laughs> and uh, I said, am I, am I too skinny? Like, is this like when I was using and I lost like all the weight? She goes, no, no, no. It's not even close. And she said, you look perfect. Mm. Which she's never said to me before. That's good. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. My wife likes it. I'm keeping it. But now I'm exercising. I'm going to try and eat more. And I've been doing push-ups every day. Great. And I feel good. Yeah, awesome. You know? My, my wife um, used to get very angry because, you know, when I would decide to lose weight, I would just be like, all right, I'm going to lose like yep. 10 pounds. And it would just happen. Right. And she'd be like, fuck you. Like, how, how is it Aaron that is I so can't- thin, though. She is. She's, you know, perfect. But, but I- um, but you know, women always are a little more self-conscious yeah. and they, you know, if they've have an extra couple pounds, like I'm not saying she does, God help me, <laughs> but if they, <laughs> if they, if they feel that they're like, they get all crazy about losing weight. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I, but I found now that I'm, I've crossed the line into my fifties. Like, like I can't just be like, I'm going to lose 10 pounds and it goes yeah. away anymore. Like now I, I really have to work at it. So yeah. Like at first when I got a little tubby and my pants weren't fitting, like I went up to a 36 waist, mm -hmm. like around Christmas time, 35, 36. And I'm supposed to be a 32, 33 and a half. Mm -hmm. So all of my pants, I was like nothing. It was just awful. Yeah. That's, that's and terrible. Looking feeling. at myself in the mirror, I'm like, I don't recognize that guy, you know? So I don't know. I feel good about myself and yes, I'm very insecure. So there's definitely, I'm definitely worried what you said that I, I can, 
be compulsive and it could turn into a deleterious addiction. A deleterious addiction. Indeed. So, I, I, yeah. So that's why I'm eating yeah. um, a Cinnabon today. Well, good. I mean, you should, you and should I feel eat a better. Cinnabon. It right. actually, I feel much better. A Cinnabon diet is the way to go. Um, so how did I manage to stay sober over this weekend? I don't know. How did you manage to stay sober over this weekend? Well, I left my CBD and Kratom at home. Hmm. And so on I was- On purpose a, or on accident? It was pr- on purpose, I think. I don't remember, but maybe it was on accident. But in any case, we got there and I had nothing. And uh, I was like, okay, now I'm going to really know, you know, is Life this, a, life's terms, is this a, a drug that will cause me, you know, will I do anything to go get more of it? Which- I would have done when I was doing heroin. In fact, we went out to Montauk and I had the guy drive out from mm. out east, from like Suffolk County right. all the way to Montauk to drop off like three bags. Um, that's what I do when I'm, when I'm in an addiction. So I didn't have withdrawal symptoms and we from, had a lot of fun. From CBD? From anything. <laughs> anything I stop. People say Kratom, if you, oh, you yeah. know, discontinue it, you get like heroin withdrawals. We had a, we had a very um, vocal person in, in the um, the Podbean messaging area uh, take, take you about, task, uh, about <laughs> using Kratom and how and said that you weren't really sober or something. I don't know. You know a lot of people say that. And frankly, I don't give a fuck because right. <laughs> I'm happy. <laughs> That's right. And I'm not like, I'm not insecure anymore about my recovery. I used to really care uh, like what other recovering people would think. And I'd be afraid to tell the truth about, you know, like the CBD, I wouldn't say that. But because I know that I'm living the life that I want to, mm-hmm. and because I'm happy, and compared to the way I was four years ago, it's there, there's no comparison. Yeah. And not only that, yeah, I went two days, I didn't have any, you know, it was a little harder sleeping, I take melatonin, mm-hmm. but- it was nothing like when you stop actual drugs. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So well, it's that, not like you're going to go suck somebody's dick like uh, next to the pool for a, for a run to 7-Eleven so somebody can get you some CBD. Yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> it's another yet. But uh, so I wanted to just bring up like what's, what are ways that you can plan to not drink on a trip like this? Because there was alcohol and mm-hmm. we were sitting there, you know, at the pool. She, you know, my wife gets a daiquiri, mm-hmm. you know, there's a little part of you that's like, I want to be part of, you know, right? but, uh, you know, she knows obviously that I'm an alcoholic and brought me a virgin daiquiri right? and I was fine. Well, she didn't bring you a shot of tequila. So that's a good thing. No, no. Um, but, um, it's interesting cause we're, we're going to, we're going away at the end of this month and, um, you know, where are you going? Can you say? I guess. I mean, we're going to Mexico. Um, oh, Mexico. So. Uh, and it's the place we've been to a few times before. They have all these COVID, you know, protections in place. We did a lot of research. So, you know, don't judge me for going. Uh, <laughs> I know I get a lot of, you know, people get a lot of shit for traveling right now yeah. and, you know, maybe deservedly so. I don't know. I keep second guessing myself yeah. every day. But anyway, um, it's this place that we've gone to three times before um, down in Playa del Carmen and uh, it's an all-inclusive, right? So this would be the first time that I would... Well, be going to an all-inclusive since I've stopped drinking. Hmm. So it's um, be a big test. So I what guess, are you going to do? I mean, I, make a plan. I yeah, say, I make mean, my a plan. plan is just not to drink. How about that? That's good. But you should make a plan with Aaron and say, you know, if I use this magic word, I got to leave. Ooh, I got, I get like a safe word. Yeah. Safe word. 
<laughs> and then Abra- we, what do we do? We go back to the United States? You just like, you get out of the, ho- wherever you are, like okay. if you're at a restaurant or something uh-huh. and you're really feeling uncomfortable, yeah. um, you make eye contact and, and I've done that a dozen times going to weddings and stuff with my, oh, yeah. and it really works. I don't know. I, I never feel like uh, on those trips that like, I want to get uh, really messed up anyway, because it's like, I get the kids, there's so much to do. Everybody gets up early, yeah. you know? So, yeah. And that was great on this trip. Like when I go on these trips sober, uh, and I'm like doing stuff and I think back to when I was using going on trips mm-hmm. and how awful, well, you had uh, a different set of priorities. Well, yeah. <laughs> In fact, one time I went to this on vacation while I was on probation, I had violated vacation on probation and, uh, <laughs> and they put a scram brace, a uh, scram bracelet on an anklet. So I had to go on this vacation wearing, you know, this, it's like an anklet that if you drink anything, it sets it off and you get really? arrested. Yep. How do they do that? It, the technology's yeah. astonishing. So I it just had, feels it in your sweat. I, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Luckily I didn't drink when I was on that, but, wow. um, in any case you can't go in the pool. Oh. You can't do anything like that. So I'm, you know, at a pool with my young children and I've got this scram bracelet on when I'm wearing shorts. You, it's just like, what uh, happens if you accidentally go in the pool wearing one? You're not supposed to go in the pool. Okay. If you go in the pool and break it, you pay $1,500. Oh shit. Yeah. So, uh, wow. so I don't deal with that anymore. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, no. How it's such a shame factor. Yeah. I um, that was a nightmare, but it's not like that anymore at all. I wanted to bring up uh, something that my wife pointed up, pointed out <laughs> on your house. Oh, yeah. Which is, she goes, tell Mike, he's got to take that damn wreath down. Yeah, yeah. There is a Christmas wreath. <laughs> I know. I mean, your neighbor took the Trump sign down. And Finally. you still have the, <laughs> and you still have the, the wreath. The Trump sign came back for one day after the acquittal, by the way, That's and weird. then disappeared again. That's very strange. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and it, whenever I drop the, because I rarely leave my house now because I work from home, right? And I, and I go out and come back. But in the morning when I drop the kids off at school, I come back and I see it every morning. And I'm like, I got to take that. Fu- I'm going to go and take, I'm, I drive by your house every day. It's probably driving Aaron nuts to see it. Well, if you're listening to this out there, he's going to take uh, it down. Today. No, I'm t- taking it down today. It's, uh, I just, and it, I have to unwrap the wire. It's in the bedroom. So I got to, it's like a whole thing. I got to climb over some boxes. I, it's, Can't you like turn it into a spring wreath somehow? <laughs> spray paint it. Yeah. Like, you know, Easter colors or something. <laughs> that would be great. But know. all of this comes down to, I'm having a midlife crisis. All of this behavior. I think, I mean, that's what my wife said. <laughs> I'm doing all of this. Like I'm trying to be healthy and I'm going to get my hair cut. And I'm like, I'm back, you know, and I want to do all these things. Yeah. And it's like uh, you got a roving pink cloud or something. Yeah, man. And, uh, I don't know. Is this a midlife crisis? Am I going to buy a red sports car or a new guitar? I don't, do you want to buy a red sports car? Uh, I don't come colorblind. It would look brown to me. Anyway. <laughs> wow. No Ferrari for you. <laughs> a white Ferrari. You, um, you might be having a midlife crisis. I don't know. Do you, how do you, how do you know. determine whether it's a midlife crisis or just, um, you know, the, the just wanting experiencing to, the possibilities of life. Well, that's why I'm asking you because this is right, a I treaded already, path for yeah, you. I already had one. You've got 10 years on But me. I had a midlife crisis like in my 30s. Interesting. Yeah. So that means you're only going to live to 60. Maybe. Can You, you can predict how long someone will live by when their midlife crisis happens. Okay, I hope that's not true. <laughs> I mean, it's not quality, it's not quantity though. It's quality, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. 
I've been I've had a rolling midlife crisis that's been going on for probably about <laughs> twenty years now. Um, it's just whenever I I feel like, I, for example, I bought a motorcycle two years ago. That's it. That right? is a midlife crisis, that, right? <laughs> You're not a biker, but um, the only reason I bought the motorcycle <clears throat> is because I quit riding. Um, back around two thousand and three because I was drinking so much that I knew I would kill myself on the motorcycle. So I got rid of my motorcycle. And then when I quit drinking, the first thing I did was signed up for a um, motorcycle safety course to get the M on my license. Because I was like, well, now I can do it. Right. And, And, you know, my chances of killing myself on a motorcycle are not eliminated, but diminished to the it's point not, where like it's 50, 50 chance of being horrifically injured or dead. Right. Uh, I've met very few people that have never put a bike down, you know? Mm. Um, but that said, you know, uh, I just ride it around the local streets and just, to, you know, it's just airs my head out because I'm too lazy to ride a bike. You know? The problem I see with motorcycles is it doesn't matter how safe you are. It doesn't matter yeah, how no, I, I some idiot yeah. is going right. to not look right. and then you're dead. You just stay off the, the roads where there's a lot of cars. <laughs> ride it on the sidewalk you know? in town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing started because I wanted a Vespa and then I ended up uh, with a motorcycle. I don't know. Vespas. Shit happens. Yeah. Vespa. Oh, those are those like dorky Yeah, Italian. the little Italian ones. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I Look, for this town, a Vespa is like, I don't know. There's a nice coffee shop, you know. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. town was looking up when I wanted a Vespa. Now everything's, you know. Uh, I hope it comes back because uh, it's not going well in this town. It's so. not. It's but not. spring is spring, spring is and, coming. Um, yeah. and you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. I tell my customers, they say, you're not closing. Please don't close. And I said, uh, can you cut me a check for a hundred thousand yeah. dollars? How about buying more things? <laughs> yeah, <I'm> buying anything. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, just like to have a shop in town where, you know, people are nice, I guess, but it's not enough. People are nice, aren't they? they? Are. For the I, most part. I've been here three years and maybe there's been two assholes, like literally, Everybody is very friendly um, mm. and it doesn't feel fake. You know, I'm a pretty good fake detector. I, I'd like to think. And mm. um, the people are pretty genuine. You know, my kids go to school with their kids. I know them, some of them my whole life. And um, yeah, but listen, we're hopeful and the weather's changing and all of that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to bring up before we move on to our main topic. Yes. That I was actually invited by a close friend of mine to an AA meeting. Oh. And because uh, I'd been saying that, man, I kind of want to, I miss AA a little bit and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You so, miss AA. It's the, I miss the fellowship because I miss some of the people I knew from there. I'm sorry. I've been trying to get that to work because every time you said the word asshole in the last 20 minutes, I've been trying to get this fucking thing to work and I could not. And now I got it to work. It's a little apropos of nothing. But anyway. Well, that's our main topic today is we're discussing assholes and recovery. Yeah, that's right. You have to take a shot of kombucha every time I say it. No, I can't stop pressing that button. Oh, sorry. All right. Yeah. um, Okay. Sorry. Where were we? We were, Did we finish the midlife crisis? Are you done with your midlife, the midlife crisis? crisis? And I was just going to report on my trip back to AA. Yes. Sorry. Okay. So because I've been thinking it, because I've been saying it, you know, I'd really like to get back to AA. I said, you know what? I'm going to take this as a sign. I'm going to go to this Zoom meeting and um, I don't know, just try and get reacquainted with AA. And what I found was that 
I didn't stay that long because I had to put my son to bed. Um, and it was a big book meeting. Right. And I was just sitting, I did about 15 minutes there and it's big book meetings. They're like, people are just reading from the big book. And then you discuss it afterwards. And I found that I could not sit through (laughs) listening to people read the big book. Um, especially over zoom. It's like, this is torture. Um, and it makes me think back like when I think of AA, I think of a time in recovery when I wasn't doing well. Right. You know, <laughs> and um, and since I've been doing so much like research studying and uh, since then to go back and listen to people read the big book or discuss only the big book. It felt like a step backwards, honestly. Mm. Uh, no offense to people. Like I know it helps a lot of people. It helped me. But for me, it felt like going backwards a mm. little bit, you know. So. You had a bit of nostalgia for the early days of sobriety, perhaps? When, yeah, when maybe. You were, there were less... Um, it was less complicated. Yeah, less complicated. I mean, yeah. AA only has a few um, approved uh, books and things like that. And that made me think uh, Made me think that, like, wow. Wow, only... An entire program. <laughs> and the only approved literature is, you know, it's like Living Sober, which I like, which is the big book. I think it's As Bill Sees It and Lois Remembers... Drop the rock. Uh, yeah, drop the rock. That's the step six and seven. The daily reflections. And daily reflect. But that, like, you could never have an AA meeting where the topic is, you know, this naked mind <laughs> book by uh, Annie Grace or, or anything like that. Which, for me, I've I've just been there, done that, and I've read the big book up and down, back and forth. Right. God knows how many times. Well, I and, mean, it's it's got all the hottest, latest recovery <laughs> research in it. I mean, when was the latest edition uh, printed in 1932? <laughs> no, the original, I think, is 1938. Okay. And then the fourth edition is something like 1982 or something. Mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely wrong about that. But I don't know. That doesn't mean I'm giving up on going to AA. Um, I just feel like... I don't know. Maybe it was just that group. I know you have to go to different groups and different things. And maybe I just, <laughs> I just, I can't read the big book again. I and don't know. Uh, approved it, literature. That sounds like a cult to me, but it, it's, it's cultish. It's cultish, yeah. but you know, that's uh if, if a cult gets you sober. Yes. Fine. Fucking great. A, man. Works great for the people it works for. Yeah, but just, I'm not going to judge AA completely based on that one meeting. No, of course you not. Know. That would be folly. But it would be folly. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope they wouldn't deem me constitutionally incapable of being honest or something like that. Uh, yeah, well, you know, you have to thoroughly follow their ways or something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, in any case, but I, I am not done going to AA, but I'm trying it and I will get back. All kidding aside, I will say that AA and NA are two of the recovery groups that we actually link to every week on our yeah. show notes. And if you find yourself an extremis and you need some place to go and people to talk to, you know, not a bad place to start. But uh, once you start getting your wits about you, you know, you may decide it's not for you and move on to something else. And that's fine, too. And even better than just moving on is doing it along with your medication-assisted treatment, yeah, yeah, along yeah. with you know cognitive behavioral therapy. What do the kids call that sort of thing these days? Intersectionality? Interse- you do, you do, I never heard You do a couple word. of, um, yeah. It's death by a thousand cuts is what I call <laughs> okay, it. Okay. You know, yeah. that's how I got sober when I look back on it. It wasn't like- or Life by a thousand cuts. <laughs> life by a thousand cuts. I mean, some people may accuse me. They'd say, you only got sober because you take CBD. And uh, no, I I stay sober because I constantly study 
research, listen to books, listen to podcasts, talk about yes. it. I'm constantly learning more. I'm constantly involved in recovery, especially doing this podcast. And uh, if CBD helps me sleep, it's not the thing keeping yeah. me sober. I'm you very don't need sorry. to convince me, man. It's not, I know. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about the dark side of CBD in a few minutes. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> there's no dark side. <laughs> um, but now we get to the main topic. Assholes in recovery. Maybe you think you're a lonely guy. Uh, never mind. <laughs> it's, Frank, it's Frank Zappa. The asshole song. Broken uh, hearts are for assholes. Well, can you put it on the outro? Uh, and oh, no. Will we get arrested? still have it yanked? Uh, yeah, not have mind. it yanked? I don't know. <laughs> never mind. But I think I can use like, you know, I, we haven't gotten in trouble for using little snippets. Mm. You know? Yeah. But this one, this song actually ends up with the lyrics. I'll say, don't fool yourself, girl. It's going right up your poop chute. <laughs> so that's poetry. Uh, yeah. That's poetry. I don't know. Frank Zappa would have a hard time today, I think. But uh, yeah. anyway, uh, mm-hmm. so we're talking about assholes in recovery, right? And this was Mike's pet project topic. I just want to hand it over to Mike. He had something, you know, sticking in his craw. Yes. Um, Okay, so as most of you know, or maybe some of you know, I am a deadhead, I, I, which is a follower of the Grateful Dead religion, um, and have been since, you know, the, I saw Jerry perform live um, approximately 200 times, I would guess, over the 10-year uh, period that I really? graced the parking lots across this great land. Um, yeah, well, maybe a little less, but somewhere in there, if you count Jerry Band shows and stuff like that, but... Um, Dead in Company, is that so, a thing? Yeah, I don't count those as dead shows, but it's, there's, there's a debate on that. Um, anyway, even back then in the 80s, uh, there was a group, uh, well, the Grateful Dead, for those of you that don't know or have been living under a musical rock for 50 years, uh, are a, a band that's generally associated with the psychedelic um, scene in the San Francisco in the late 60s and then sort of evolved into just a roving carnival of um, bacchanalia and, and drug use uh, through the 70s and 80s and into the 90s until it sputtered to a halt when Jerry got a heart attack as he was um, withdrawing from uh, opiates at Serenity Knowles. Uh, isn't that a great name for yeah. a, Serenity Knowles uh, for a rehab out in, um, I think, Marin County, California. Anyway. Did he get sober? Uh, there was no heroin in his system when he died, I believe. So, But he, his body was just shot from years of uh, abuse. Anyway, um, while most of the people, including myself, who were participating in the Grateful Dead scene, uh, were using just about every drug or, or drink you could pour down your gullet, um, there was a group of sober deadheads known as the Wharf Rats. And uh, you could identify them at shows because they had a table out in the hallway that had a yellow balloon. So <laughs> That's um, cool. Yeah, and they gave away free candy. Yeah. And they, you know, if you were tripping a little too hard, there was so somebody there to talk you down. Uh-huh. And um, most of them were, yeah, they're good people. Um, most of them pretty militant 12-steppers. Um, even though um, the Facebook group and the Wharf Rats in general purport to not um, adhere to any one um, methodology for getting uh, sober or recovery. But uh, really, they're 12-steppers for the most part. I have a question. It's, it's on topic, but what do you? what's the difference between a light bulb and the Grateful Dead? What? 
when a light bulb burns out, you don't follow it around for 35 years. <laughs> oh, did you? That's a, that's a weak one, man. <laughs> Are you one of the, you're one of those musicians that uh, disdains the dead? I, no, I don't disdain them. Yeah. I just don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we ever play guitar together, that's going to change. I'll, I'll do Fire in the Mountain. That's one I like. Okay. And that's, that's the one that everybody plays. A little reggae beat. Anyway, so the Wharf Rats have a couple of Facebook pages, and because they're... Um, uh, crotchety old hippies. They have two Facebook pages because they couldn't get along on one Facebook page. So some somebody split off and started another one. So the one thing I noticed in these uh, groups is there is a lot of positive support for people in general. However, uh, this week, some uh, woman posted that she had just relapsed and she was very, um, you know, feeling very sort of out of sorts and, you know, Usually that's the time where I, you would expect a bunch of people to jump on the, 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 the comment stream and be supportive and, and stuff. But what I saw and what, what really annoyed me was a lot of people who jumped on and said, um, well, you know, you're not working the program hard enough and I guess you're not ready to stop. And all the other things that the last time I heard them was in AA meetings that I attended in the 90s. And it really pissed me off because this person has been trying because right. I go back and I look at her her history. And, you know, she was posting, I have 15 days, I have 30 days, you know, and everybody's like, you know, good job, good job. And then, uh, so she got to up to <clears throat> like 45 days and then relapsed. I'm not sure on what, you know? Um, and, <clears throat> and then instead of people being like, well, don't worry, you know, that was, you know, oh, people who said that relapse is, is a part, part of, recovery of recovery were immediately excoriated. Oh yeah. You yeah. can't, I, anytime someone posts that on one of the recovery boards, yeah. people go nuts. Yeah. And, and I'm like, well, of course it is. And so I jumped on there and said, listen, you know, out of 30 days, 45 days, you drank, you did your drugs or whatever for one day. That's, you know, only 1%. So you know, that's my you thing. Get back on the horse right away. Right. You, know, you and learn said, from it. I said, if you want to try something that's non 12 step related, you can, um, you know, PM me and I'll, I'll drop you some resources and so on. But, um, I did not hear from them, but that's okay. Cause other people were making the same offer. Uh, and you know, God knows what experience this woman has had with 13th steppers, you know, right. and you know, <laughs> so she's yeah. not going to reach out to some dude on the internet for resources. Right. Um, but anyway, it's just, it really, de it really depressed me because people were taking this tone of superiority and like, you know, we've, you know, like, like they've unlocked the key to the universe and it's only in the, in the 12 steps. And it's only by following that program is the only way you're ever going to get sober. And this poor person who, you know, could probably benefit from some alternative methods or, uh, is just getting piled on by like, you know, a hundred wharf rats who are telling her that she's just a fuck up for not following the program well enough. And that's like what the big book basically says. It pretty much says I, I, we have rarely seen, I forget yeah. the exact, anybody who has followed our path that hasn't succeeded. Right. Um, but if you don't succeed at this, it means you're constitutionally incapable of being honest. Yes. Is the exact words, Which, I believe. It's fucking moronic. And, it is. And, uh, so only five people out of a hundred like are the are honest well like, and, and everybody that comes up and says well but look at all the people who've gotten sober during the, you know we're using this method and i'm thinking to myself yeah all of them now just hang out together with each right. other and, and it's like this this self-validation that see how the see the program works look at all these people who have 30 years but what about the other like you know 90 percent of the people that can't they don't come back in because they die right or, or they're just so it's like the statistics are all fucked up and even by their own admission it's only five or ten percent but whatever you know if that's, if that's 
method jibes with your particular style and psychology, then great, you know, but don't take this poor woman who's suffering terribly and tell her that she's a total fuck up because she can't follow, you know, your little 1930s Judeo-Christian fucking (laughs) way of getting sober. Yeah. And they do it precisely because it makes them feel better about their lives and their recovery because they can say that person failed and, um, and like nanny, 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 you know, start over. And you know, I, I'm sure people are like, they, they're not meaning to sound like assholes, right? No, they, like, they're trained to talk that right. way because that's how everybody, yes. you know, your sponsor probably is like that. And everybody you ever met in AA who's, you know, successful, quote unquote, is kind of exuding that. Right. I mean, this kind of brings me back to like my whole thinking of like what Aaron and I were talking about a few months ago, which is like, um, you know, should you be going to AA to get sober or is like AA just like a, a community group, you know, and you really should be focusing your energies on medically assisted treatment and, and things that actually work. And that like running down AA is like pointless because it's like shooting fish in a barrel because, you know, it doesn't work. Right. And I think the reason, one of the reasons why it's so, um, it's so prevalent is because it's a catch-all. I mean, like, AA can be extremely simple. Yeah. Uh, if, you know, if, if you're dealing with, let's say, the lowest common denominator, if you're a group that has 100 million people, you want to get the most, uh, so you, you cater to the lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, anybody can get into it and, you know, you don't have to think, you don't have to, you know, you just have to listen to your sponsor, take suggestions and whatever the big book says. And that yeah. makes it very, very simple. Which is, which, is, which is fine. So you can bring more people in that way. I think if you have an addict coming in off the street and you start talking like Dharma recovery with them, you might lose them. Unless they're a Buddhist, in which case that would and be... And the, they'd be like, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know. But, but, but that's exactly my point is like, yeah. there's no, there's no triage at the door. Right. Right. There's no like, you know, answer these questions. Not qualified it, to do that. Right. That's the other problem is there's no professional uh, clinicians. And if they are there, they're anonymous. Well, shouldn't there be, you know, assuming like you're in trouble enough with alcohol that you're going to try and quit drinking, you know, maybe you have to detox, maybe you have to go to a 30 day program. Shouldn't there be somebody who sits down and asks you questions about what you think about religion and spirituality and all this other stuff and, and then puts steers you towards a program that is more, um, um, you know, synced with the kind of person you are rather than say one size fits all go, go over to these guys and you know, they'll tell you to, you know, and I well, you know, make a list work. of how shitty you are and then you it, can, you know, pay people back money you stole from them 10 years ago. <laughs> right. But the problem is that the governing body, the national governing body of A or the worldwide uh, does not involve itself in local groups. It's a self-sustaining. Right. So but each group what I'm is saying different. is like somebody so who's like, paying those people. Well, OK. I mean, if you have a therapist, they would have I would to assume volunteer. that a therapist is sort of should be like pointing you towards the best method that would help you get better. Yeah. Right? I mean, and if maybe that's not AA for a certain personality. I type. think it's just lazy. Yeah. I think it's just easy to just tell everybody, ah, just do the AA yeah. you know, 12 steps. It's just easy. You don't have right. to think as much. And I think that's actually really great for like acute addiction when you're just, you need to just be kind of like sat down and put the plug in the jug, you know? Yeah. Great. And, I don't know. But if, but I mean, if you walk into an, you know, an AA meeting 
or a series, you go to a series of meetings and you just can't stay sober. You would think at the very least, someone would take you aside and say, well, you know what? Since you're having a hard time with this, why don't you go investigate something like uh, buprenorphine or some of these other things that could help you? Heresy, you know. And then, but but nobody will ever say that because yeah. you know you either you either stay within the narrow lines of the program mm. or you are a failure, a complete failure. So I don't know. It uh, pissed me off, and and I'm you know, I'm just you know, sewing myself full of resentment, <laughs> uh, you know. Well, there's always guys like that and, and women in AA. There's always assholes. And my theory is it's not because they're sober and it's not because they're not sober that they're like that. It's just they're assholes. And then maybe... Hey, <laughs> it, could, it could just be that, right? People are just... Maybe the program attracts a certain type of asshole because it certainly seems like the whole idea of having like a sponsor or somebody that insists that you call them at the same time every day and otherwise jerks you, leads you around by your cock, you know, and, and makes you like do weird things like, uh, like poor Ray and the dopey nation having to oh. fucking redo his fourth step like a million fucking times. <laughs> I, so I mean, what's the fuck is that? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, um, one of the co-hosts of uh, dopey podcast, Ray has been uh, working with this really hardcore 12 step sponsor. And, uh, the, he was making him, he had him on the fourth step for like six months. So <laughs> Ray would write it and then send it to him and they'd say, okay, now rewrite it until finally, um, yeah, that seems like Ray some sadist, sadist kind of shit going yeah. on there, you know, like yeah. just keep doing it, keep doing it. You know, you're not doing it right. Oh, the first one was a practice one and now you got to do the real one. You know, I think where that comes from is whoever was your sponsor that got you sober, mm -hmm. you probably do exactly what that person did. Cause you say, Look, it saved my life. Right. So it stands to reason that if you're trying to help people, you, you do the same thing yeah. that was done to you. It's like abuse through generations. Hurt people hurt people. Oh, wow, man. That's one of those things. Is that really deep? Yeah, that is. <laughs> is that a, is that a AA slogan? That it, I should have written, written down all the slogans, yeah. Hurt people hurt people is another one. Easy does it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I know the big ones that I see on the cars and stuff, uh, and I remember from the meetings, but uh, there's some deep ones, you know? Um, so, you know, in the, the clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right scene, uh, I'm on another group on uh, the internet, speaking of assholes in recovery, or not in recovery in this case, um, and this was something that stuck in my proverbial craw that I wanted to bring out. Also, um, I belong, I, we own a Peloton and I'm not bragging. It's just to set the context for the story. Uh, so I've belonged to a couple of different Peloton, uh, groups. Peloton is the stationary bicycle that you ride. Why in are you in house. a Peloton group? Like, what do you discuss? On Facebook? How, to, how to plug it in and like the, the main group is support. actually, um, it's basically like the wild west. It's people asking stupid questions and being excoriated by thousands of people, which is, you know, uh, entertaining at times in, in a way that, um, a crowd, you know, cheering on somebody being eaten by a lion, I guess is entertaining. So, um, public hanging, but that was the only group that if you bought a Peloton, you joined the Facebook group because that's where the instructors would go. And then it was, a, it was a very supportive community and it morphed and turned into something completely different. So there are these also sub Facebook groups. One of this, the Peloton sober riders, which is a great group of people, mm -hmm. very supportive, very nice. Um, has people from just about every recovery mm. tradition in there. Um, so and everybody's it, like accepting, nobody is like yeah, no. pushing their dogma. I mean, you know, they're the people who are in AA will s strongly advocate for that, for yeah. recovery, but not in the war frat assholey way. <laughs> it's also mostly women who tend to be nicer to one another on, yeah. the, <laughs> on the internet. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Women are pretty nasty. They can be, but, <laughs> but 
What do I, it seems you? like a supportive community. Anyway, um, so this one woman yesterday um, uh, posted that something like that from the sober group posted that she read something in the main group about how some woman was going on, how she likes to do her Peloton rides drunk. Like she likes to drink wine and then ride, ride the Peloton. And she said this really bothered her because, you know, this cavalier attitude towards alcohol um, use, um, you know, as something to laugh at uh, is just not her experience. I mean, alcohol took her to some very dark places and, you know, she has, she has sobriety now and she's holding on to it. And, and she's like, how do I, you know, should I say something? Should I, you know, comment on it or whatever? And, and everybody was sort of like the stock answer always seemed to be, um, well, listen, you quit drinking, but that doesn't mean everybody else did. And you should just worry about yourself and not worry about everybody else. And that's, that's a very, a, I heard, remember hearing that in AA, like you're not going to change anybody else. And then it got me to thinking like, you know what, all these uh, pro alcohol people have no problem like being like why aren't you drinking you know as if that's the abnormal thing yeah, my but, brother did that too. but but we're supposed but but the non-drinkers are just supposed to sit around and be like when somebody's like i like to ride my exercise bike drunk at 10 o'clock in the morning like we're just supposed to say well oh okay that's good for you, no, for no, you. no problem you know <laughs> and just not say anything like wow you must be like your life must be fucking miserable yeah, if that's what you're doing you know like, you know, I guess you could take the Pope Francis, who am I to judge, uh, uh, tact, but, um, you know, I guess sometimes I get judgy, I guess. I don't know. And, um, don't take other people's inventory. That's what you yeah, do that. But see, the thing is, I don't adhere to any of those rules, so they don't <laughs> apply to me. I, I don't have to. I can take inventories all day. I can take inventory all day. Um, so I don't know, you know, uh, my thinking is if you're bragging on a, uh, out in public about drinking while you're riding your exercise bike, you know, maybe that's something you should take a look at. I don't know, but yeah. you're right. I, why does this stuff bother me? It shouldn't bother me. I spent too much time on social media. I need to work harder. Yeah, my job. man. I was thinking that too, you know, because that's when a lot of, I mean, I get a lot of good out of social media and I like to say that recovery in the middle ages, Facebook group, um, even though it's not very active yet, we got about 300 people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being a dick will not be tolerated. Right. Um, and it's just going to be that way. So um, that's why we, it's a safe place. It's You're not going to get your face judged off or anything like that. Nope. Um, and, you know, so I implore you, join our uh, Facebook group. Yeah. And you won't uh, get judged. There is a way to set up groups, like the people, like subgroups within a group. Oh, yeah. I think we should talk about that. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, but like the whole AA thing, and now I feel bad that we're talking about AA, but um, it made me think, you know, uh, the whole thing with, you know, I want to go back to AA and all of that. And then I was thinking, why do I feel that way? Why, why do I, in the back of my mind, feel like I need validation from the AA community. Like there's something in my head that got implanted, sort of like total recall. Programmed. You know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger gets the thing planted in his brain. And um, the CPU is a neural net processor, <laughs> a learning computer. But Skynet presets the switch to read only. <laughs> so, thank you, Arnold. No problem. So like, why is that? I mean, I don't think that's right. Like, why should I feel anything but great? that um, things are going the way they are with my sobriety. Like, why should I feel any different? That It's because I'm not getting the validation I so sorely have wanted all of these years from those dicks at AA. That's still in me, I think. Here's the thing. I have to disabuse myself of that. You 
and I, as addicts, drug users, drunks, we are people pleasers. We yeah. crave validation That's from me. other people. <laughs> and, you know, AA has set itself up to be the ultimate daddy, right? Yeah. You want, pl- you want validation from big, big daddy. Yeah, Bill, I want a shiny Big daddy coin. Bill. You want your coin, <laughs> want coin. right? But um, it's not real. It's all in your head. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, I'm working on that. Yeah. And yeah. so I think. I'm not saying it's easy to just be like, you know, just turn that. Thing you off. just turn it off. Yeah, you, um, yes. Brains don't work that way. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was something that came up. And, and I feel like it's probably a shame um, that I that I feel that way. And how many other people feel that way? Right. I mean, I've seen a million times uh, online when, when somebody, you know, realizes that, you um, they're getting attacked or something for, you know, they're not adhering to AA or whatever. And then I'll come in and say, well, it's okay. You know, Mm -hmm. like you relapsed, bring it back. You learn from it. Right. Uh, I don't, you don't have to say it's part of recovery, but you know, just support. (laughs) I say that just to annoy people now. (laughs) (laughs) Just support them. Right. And, uh, some people are so blown away that, you know, they get so used to this browbeating for wherever they were recovering. Um, you know, love should be, you know, the rule and not the exception. Absolutely. That should be the default position. Love is all we need. Shame is not the way to get anyone to do anything. Who's Seamus? Seamus? Seamus. I wonder how he's doing. I haven't heard from him in a while. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think of that our, guy. Our earlier guest. Um, but, um, and then you wrote on the, okay. So Mike wrote after, cause we have the, the outline and like we can both edit. So I made the bullet point. Why do I feel like I must return to AA to solidify my recovery when history shows I do better without it? The numbers don't lie. And then you added, <laughs> you want to read it? Uh, this is because you're brainwashed by the AA cult. And then I wrote <laughs> LOL. So that's yeah. kind of where uh, we're at. I mean, yeah. what, um, do you have anything else you want to say about a-holes? No, I think that about covers it. You see how I said a-holes instead of the whole word, so you didn't have to... So I didn't have to what? Assholes. Hey, assholes. <laughs> Were you so, fishing for that one? Because there it is. Bit. Um, and having said all of that, I understand that we have story time. You've had some close calls? Oh, Yeah. I was thinking we should do a segment on close calls, and we should solicit close calls <clears throat> from the audience. Yeah, and I, I think I have a few that I remember. Yeah. I think I told the one about the crack pipe and probation. Yes. Yeah, that yeah, was that's extremely a good one. Extremely close. That's a good one. Uh, I got one that was, it wasn't really my close call, but it was a, a pretty good close call. So um, when I was at Fordham University in the 1980s, um, we used to ride down to the Lee, Lehigh or Lafayette School, I think it was Lehigh in Pennsylvania, um, because there was a, a football game every year between Lehigh and Lafayette. That was a big right, thing. Right. So they're very, um, they're very fraternity forward schools. So they had a lot of frat houses and these frat houses like to hire bands to play uh, for the parties that would have after the football game. So my friend, uh, Bobby Boom Boom, he was a drummer, uh, <laughs> is a was a drummer in a band called Tight Space, and they were a Grateful Dead cover band. Mm. Um, very, very good one. They, their guitar player was excellent. Um, and he ended up being the sound man from another Jersey band from Good Homes, 
uh, who used to play at Irving Plaza a lot. But mm. anyway, so um, so Bobby Boom Boom was heading down to to Lehigh to go play at this frat house. So a bunch of us um, got into two cars and we went down with him and it was a crazy party uh after the thing i i don't really remember it except a uh, frat boy stole my watch i had taken it off and put it next to my uh, head when i was sleeping and i and i was really mad because i planned on selling that watch for drugs <laughs> later on <laughs> that he. that weekend um How dare he so the watch disappeared i remember throwing some pool balls down the street or something, but whatever. So the next morning I wake up, my watch is gone. Uh, the other carload of people I came with is gone. I gathered up the stragglers, drove back to the Bronx. Turns out that the other car that I had not was not in had been pulled over uh, by the New Jersey state troopers who found a bunch of pot in the car, arrested everybody, took them down to the station and mm. processed them. That's not the close call. I'm getting to the close <laughs> call. So, uh, they get released with a disappearance ticket, which they had to go back to court on right. a certain day, a uh, couple of weeks in the future. Pretty fast, actually, for, for 80s justice. Um, but the New Jersey state troopers were good at, at producing fines for the state. They were a huge <laughs> revenue uh, producer. Oh, that's nice. Um, so um, court day comes, and it's night court. And um, like, we got to get the music from night court. <laughs> <laughs> Right, that would boom, be boom, 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 boom. my friend, <laughs> my friends who um, had to go answer for this charge um, were like, "Hey, you guys want to take a ride down to Jersey?" And my friend Chris had this old black uh, duster, so we all pile in this '70s muscle car duster and go ripping down the uh, New Jersey Turnpike. What do, would you imagine would happen? Woo. Yes, we got pulled over almost as soon as we got across the George Washington Bridge. Uh, they, they take one look at us, and half of us are dressed very nicely, and the other half are not. So they're like, what's going on here? And they, uh, they rip apart my friend's duster because they couldn't figure out what we were all doing, half of us in jackets and ties and the other half of us in tie-dyes, uh, and they find a crack vial under the, under the seat and, with residue in it. And they're like, um, all right, who's, uh, who's crack file is this and <laughs> mine and nobody nobody says a word and in fact my friend who is english uh says um i'm sorry we're just getting a ride in this car we don't really know um you know and my friend who owned the car said i, lo- I loan this car out. i'm in college i loan this car out all the time and you know right. so, so the cops let us go and we continue down to the courthouse oh sorry uh they searched everybody pat downs the whole thing wow right um Nobody, by some miracle, nobody had anything on them. So we thought. Um, So we get down to court. We go into court. Got to go through the metal detectors. Got to get searched again. You know, Um, (laughs) get into the courthouse. They uh, start doing the proceedings. And my friend had borrowed uh, a blazer from his roommate. uh, And it was hanging in the closet of his roommate's uh, dorm room. Unbeknownst to him, his roommate was was a junkie, and his roommate had left a loaded spike in the pocket of his jacket. Which is a loaded needle. Loaded needle. And he's sitting there, and he's fishing around his pockets. The judge is on the bench. Everybody's sitting in the gallery. He pulls the thing out, and his look is sitting there in the courtroom. It's in his hand. He's looking at it. And I watch the expression on his face as it dawns on him what, what he just pulled out of his pocket and what he's doing. And... Instead of like sticking it back in his pocket, he just throws it over his shoulder oh, towards the back of the courtroom. <clears throat> 
fortunately, it, it was in our general direction. Somebody else in our par- party caught it and stuck it in his pocket, and nobody noticed. <laughs> oh so they got their fine. We got out of there, and we got to go home, and nobody went to jail. That was a close call. Uh, that's I, And you know what? And that's close calls. And you put some music in. <laughs> yeah, there. yeah. Because actually, while you were talking, I was, of course, thinking about what I wanted to say instead of listening, <laughs> which is something I did all the time in AA. Uh-huh. Like, you know, someone else is talking, I'm like, what am I going to yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's no. human nature. Uh, but I've got, <laughs> I've got uh, some of those, too. So I'm going to go through it. And, you know, I think uh, I like this. I like segments. I like to mm-hmm. feel like there's it's being produced. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it goes along with my whole fantasy of being like a radio DJ. Right. And, uh, yeah, so that's a close call. Yeah. Um, um, okay, uh, we're moving right along here. We've got a big show, and um, I think we are ready for Recovery in the News. Yeah! All right. Recovery in the News this week uh, addresses the issues of alcoholism, loneliness, and death, uh, mm. as uh, elucidated. Is that how you say that word? Elucidated? Sure. I don't know that As one. discussed by Sir Anthony Hopkins. Ooh. Remember Hello, Clarity. Yeah, Silence of the Lambs. I or, ate her liver with some fava beans. I don't know if you ever saw the uh, satire movie that was made called Silence of the Hams. No. No? <laughs> it was a blockbuster. I never actually read it. it for another show and we'll, we'll have a discussion on it. <laughs> Something tells me that Chris Farley was in it, but I, I can't imagine Kidding. that's true. Anybody out there who knows movies, look up Silence of the Hams and let me know if it's worth watching. Um... <laughs> So, uh, I don't know if you recall, but back in New Year's, a couple of months ago, uh, Anthony Hopkins released a video where he uh, discussed being 45 years sober from alcohol. Wow. And um, he's 83 now, which I wouldn't have guessed he was that old. But Yeah, I, I only learned that recently. That's so cool that he's yeah. sober. Uh, and it was it was a great video. You could find it on, on YouTube or whatever. Or the show notes. Uh, yeah, I'll link to it on the show notes, yeah. It's nice. good. You can give me more work to do. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he's he's been speaking candidly about his his darkest days. Um, uh, he talks about how alcoholism was 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 terrible, but also how it it was a driving force in his career, mm-hmm. uh, and that he made crazy decisions that he would not have made had he been sober and stopped to think about them um, that just happened to work out well, mm. um, which is great if you're Anthony Hopkins. But sure. I think a lot of people who make impulsive decisions when they're under the influence of alcohol, yeah. it doesn't work out so well for them. But um, uh, in, in the video um, that he posted that I was just discussing, he said, uh, one of the things he said was, it's been a tough year full of grief and sadness for many, many, many people. But 45 years ago uh, today, I had a wake up call. I was headed for disaster. I was drinking myself to death. Uh, I'm not preachy, but I got a message, a little thought that said, do you want to live or do you want to die? And I said, I want to live. Uh, yes. Very good. And he said that al- his alcoholism was hell on earth for those around him. Uh, looking back, I have no pride in myself because I caused a lot of damage, he told the Sunday Times. Uh, it's lethal to be around drunks, and I was one of those, wow. which I thought was interesting. Um, but the thing that really got me about... Uh, about this interview in particular um, was that um, his sort of long view about life was that um, he, th- he thinks about death because he's 83, right? And when you're 83, you think about death, I sure. guess. Sometimes. I think about death and I'm 42. Right. 
but he says he finds peace in his own insignificance. Um, on my first day free of booze, he said, a friend asked, how do you feel? And he said, I said, inadequate. And then it hit me that, of course, we all are. None of us is any of any importance at all. In this vast multi-universe where we all exist, we are nothing. It goes back to Socrates. I know that I know nothing. That was the single greatest moment of freedom I have ever felt. When you look at your own insignificance in the universe and where your problems fit in to the, to the, to the universe, insignificant. Insignificant. Right? Well, I, I don't 100% like thinking that way. I mean, I understand what he's saying and why it's profound. Right. But I like to think, for one thing, yes, of course, you know, our existence compared to the universe is nothing, right? right. But for me, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean something or that it's not important. Right. I think that's important that like, like I said in the last show, when I got a little kooky on everybody with the holographic universe theory, mm-hmm. but you know, if your theory is that we are all pieces of the universe, essentially, then each one of us is, you know, as important as everything else. Right. So, but I mean, that, that's also can give you like <laughs> megalomania, <laughs> but just the idea that, you, you know, you're not insignificant, you're special. Just like what our uh, dear leader was saying. Love you. You're very special. Um, stand back and stand by. Um, uh, I think shifting perspectives, depending on where you're at, is is not an unhealthy thing. There are times when you can recognize your insignificance to the world and to the universe. And there are times when you have to recognize that you are indeed uh, a valued, loved, and, yeah. uh, and treasured person. Yeah, and and that's that's a, a tight rope to walk, I guess, for people, especially when you're you're talking about you know recovery, where your your whole life is changing, mm-hmm. and um, you know you you're thinking about all of this stuff. But it's important to, but I think keeping it in perspective, not necessarily saying I'm insignificant, but that just in perspective, like yes, I'm important and all of that, but you know. In perspective, we're just a piece of all of this, you know, creation or whatever you want to call it. If it's not creation. Perspective is huge. Are Buddhists creationists? I don't know. What what do Buddhists believe as far as the creation of the universe? That it always was and it always will be? Like Bret Hart? Well, we create the universe at each moment. It's It's complicated. That's interesting. We got to get Jed, the uh, dopey Dharma guy on just so yeah, we, yeah. We, we have a, a, a buddy online uh, in a recovery uh, forum who uh, he leads a Zoom dope, uh, Dharma, which I'm not even sure what that means. Recovery can, Dharma. Recovery Dharma mm-hmm. uh, meeting every week. And um, and you're into the you've, you're well read on Buddhism and yeah. recovery. And I thought that would be. A really interesting show. Yeah, let's set him up. He's agreed to it. I just, I haven't. Uh, We're due for a guest. Uh, right? I know. Uh, yeah. yeah. I guess my last thinking on that, yeah. that whole business is, uh, on perspective is, um, I think what Anthony was saying, or Sir Anthony was saying, is that don't get too caught up in your own head. Because if you do, then you lose sight of, of where you fit in to yeah. the larger scheme of things. Yeah, right? absolutely. And you can you can totally self self obsess. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, and that's that's important too. Like, when, especially now, I'm trying not to obsess over my weight and right. getting exercises, and you know, and sometimes I have to pull myself back. And um, and looking back on you know how I've been feeling, you know, for the last like month or two, I'm 
trying to, I got to put the brakes on a little bit. Mm. You know, I feel like I'm getting a little bit like I'm, I'm noticing more impulsive mm. uh, decisions. You're talking about impulse control, yeah. um, without drinking, uh, or using, I have impulse control problems. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when I'm very spiritually fit and when I'm really dialed into recovery, I, uh, I don't feel that way, right. you know? And, um, I just think, it's important to be self-aware for myself. So now I can say, I could stop and say, you know what? I really have to reel myself in. I have to take another look at, you know, these, like I've been buying impulsively and um, it's starting to, to show up on our bills. <laughs> I mean, nothing crazy, but it's like, you know, I've got that problem where even when I was in college and I would be depressed, right. I would just go to the mall yeah. and then I'd walk around and I'd buy something for no good reason. Just like Dr. Gabor Mate. Exactly CDs. like Gabor. Yes. He's yep. addicted to classical music CDs. Well, you're, you're addicted to the dopamine hit that comes with buying. hundred percent. And, and so it's not just drugs and alcohol that I, that we have to worry about. Right. It's all of these unhealthy obsession behaviors, this compulsivity, you know, um, 100% agree. And, and so what I have to do is when I first take that criticism from my wife, who is very kindly being like, uh, what the hell are you doing? You know, you're, what are you spending all this money on? And we have, you know, she's looking at the bank account. Nothing is hidden, but she's like, there's $15 here. And then what did you buy online there? And did you really need another <laughs> video game and yeah. stop buying the kids V bucks? <laughs> um, that's, that's my latest impulse thing. Like we got into, uh, my oldest son is now getting an allowance. Mm. So we got him a green light card so he can like use yes, his own money and everything. Great. It is really cool. Um, but I've been roundly excoriated for, uh, for trying to make our relationship transactional, I think is what you said. Mm. And, um, but it's actually working out pretty well. But now that I can get my oldest to do stuff yes. because partially I'm threatening no allowance. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. No allowance this week. Or he's got to fulfill a series of, um, of, uh, jobs. You know, it's taking out the garbage on Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, he has to eat dinner with us at the table right. for at least 10 minutes. You know, there's a bunch of stuff like That's that. That's a good one. That he's, yeah. So this way I'm like, no, you just have to sit there. I don't care if you eat, but we have to come to the table. 10 minutes minimum. I like that. Yeah. It's worked out really well actually because it doesn't sound so bad to him. Mm-hmm. And most of the time we can get him to stick around longer for engaging him. Right. And then when he tries to get up and leave, you say, Oh, didn't you want ice cream? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a really, <laughs> right. it's a big manipulation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's worked out great except that now I get this dopamine hit from, you know, sending money to my child. Like, <laughs> Like, I feel good. I'm like, you know, he wants something and I can give it to him. And that makes me feel good. It validates me. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I keep going on like this, I'll have nothing left to give my other son and and him. (laughs) And so it's important now that I have to really pull back because my six-year-old with the V-Bucks on Fortnite, and I know I'm going to get a little shit for letting a six-year-old play Fortnite. But uh, he's he's really good at it. He gets Is that me. inappropriate? I don't even know. It's just people think it's too violent and Fortnite. Can, yeah, it's shooting yeah. people and well, all that shit. It's like I know. Yeah, I, I don't care. Cartoon violence. The, the worry, the thing that worries people is who are they talking to? Yeah, that worries um, me. Yeah, but I mean, I every single day 
Um, I listen into what they're doing, not the whole time, obviously, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I talk to them all the time. I, I make up horror stories. Like this one time this kid was playing, you know, Fortnite right. and, uh, they were murdered or something. Yeah. <laughs> so don't give out our address. You have to keep a, a healthy level of fear. Right. Uh, I think it's a great way to raise children. Is you, want, you want there to be an underlying fear factor. <laughs> fear what, and uncertainty. What, like, that's how, they don't that, know. That's how it's done. Yeah, they don't know what's coming right. next. You have to right. put them off balance. No, don't, don't do that. That's not true. But so that's something that I got to, I got to really pull back, man, because the spending uh, is, it's just, uh, it's making me nervous. And so now I can stop and Mm. thank God. And there was a few instances in the last, you know, couple of weeks where normal Nat would have just like boozed up like big time, Mm. like where we just went uh, to Woodlock. When we first went there, um, when my oldest was, was like a baby. Um, and that I was still at that point, I was like fake in recovery. I was probably on probation. Right. And uh, so I was not allowed to drink, but I snuck out of the room to go to the bar. Mm-hmm. Like any chance I got on that trip, I would, at the same place. I would, you know, sneak alcohol and I do, I was doing it the whole weekend, uh, that we went the first time. And I think about that because uh, we were here a couple times and both times I didn't, you know, but I thought of myself like, wow, this time when I was using, I would, thinking about all the shit I was doing, sneaking, like we were at the pool and while my wife was on the, um, in the pool with the kids, I just like, I'm going to go to the bathroom and I'd w- <laughs> quick walk to the wet bar and be like, uh-huh. shout out tequila boom, boom. And then come back. And I was doing that the whole time. Wow. I don't even know if she, she knows that I did that, but that was a while ago. But you know, compared to this time is, you know, I'm drinking a virgin daiquiri. Uh, it just barely entered my mind Mm -hmm. and that's so freeing. And, And that, that right there, it's that freedom, Yes. you know, don't you feel so much more free? Yes. You know, yeah. now that you, I'm not shackled to, to alcohol. Right. Yeah. So when something comes up that is an alcohol that I do feel shackled to, mm-hmm. that's when I'm like, okay, what am I doing? Do I need to be spending all this money? Can I say no? Um, do I have to please everybody all the time? No, no, <laughs> no, just your wife. She's the only one you need to please all the time. I mean, did you ever pick a restaurant based on whether or not they had booze? Like I used to do that all the time. They're like, I can't go out for Ethiopian food. They don't sell uh, mm, liquor there. No, but the couple times we went to a place where it was like BYOB because uh-huh. they don't have their liquor license. Those are my favorite places. I was like, <laughs> I know you're right. Yeah, because <laughs> I could bring so much money. Yeah. You know, that was a disqualifier uh, for oh, me. Like okay. completely, I'd like no alcohol at dinner. What are you nuts? Yeah. Like yeah. I can't wash down this steak with water or soda. Yeah. I can eat a Cabernet Sauvignon. That's right. It really just, you know, enhances the flavor, doesn't it? Not at all. Not at all. Anyway, that's Recovery in the News, an extended version. So we're not going to get to the CBD thing this week, which is fine because it's That's a whole show. We were going to discuss CBD, Delta H, and what it is. Delta 8. Delta 8. Um, and all of that. So we could do that next week. Yeah. uh, Because I've got a big, actually, I've got a big This Week in Weird this week. Yeah. Pilot reports odd UFO over New Mexico. In an intriguing incident that occurred over the weekend, the pilot of a flight to Phoenix 
contacted air traffic controllers to report a close encounter with a strange-looking UFO. The weird event reportedly took place on Sunday afternoon as American Airlines Flight 2292 was flying over New Mexico on a route from Ohio to Arizona. To the surprise of radio interceptor Steve Douglas, who was mainly monitoring communications at the time, the pilot reached out to air traffic controllers in the area with a rather remarkable query. A seasoned tracker of radio communications, Douglas told a local TV station that what stood about that what stood out about the moment was the pilot's voice. And I quote, I heard this aircraft basically above all other aircraft, he recalled, because the tone in his voice was so excited. He went on to reveal that a friend who an ex-military pilot told him that for them to see this object, it had to be coming at them practically head on. So whatever it was, came fast and right at them and right over them, which gave them a big enough scare that they had to report it. Hmm. The FAA will now presumably look into the matter to see if they can determine what the pilot may have seen. Was that, uh, it could have been a bird, no? It's a bird. It's a plane. A large bird. Could be a large metal bird that, you know, travels faster than light (laughs) and... uh, (laughs) No, you never know, man. And Grays are riding it. Uh, so that, my friends. So what's what? Before we yeah. finish that, what is that term that's used when um, this idea that by releasing all of these reports on disclosure, you have, that they're about to drop the big yeah, secret? They're saying that's that's called disclosure, they're softening everybody up. Yeah, disclosure is the big key term right now, and uh, for the past few years, ever since the New York Times. Uh, article where the uh, where the Navy released the gun camera footage oh, yeah. where there's clearly you know um, I'll say UFOs but not American you know um, aircraft in, in the gun camera footage right and it has been uh, you know validated actually officially by the Department of Defense. And did you watch that? Yeah, I saw it. Mm-hmm. And maybe you hear the people talking. They're about very excitable, it. but they're also eighteen and nineteen year old boys. But these are people who are grew up on video games. (laughs) Okay. All right. Understood. Uh, And that's this week in weird. Um. So I just wanted to say we've had a great show. And uh, long this week, right? Yeah. One thirteen. Yeah, so it's a long one. As we page Uh, through our uh, pages. Yeah. Oh, wrap up. Wrap up. Uh, visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Join the discussion on our exclusive and private Facebook group. <laughs> exclusive and private. What is it? Like you get a chair closer to the beach if you're an early adopter? I just, I like I, the word exclusive. Yeah. It kind of, you know, it sells it a little better. Okay. Uh, if you, and it's free. Right. <laughs> if you need to, for now. For now. For now. Um, yeah. We don't have the recovery elevator um, audience yet, but uh, <laughs> they do pretty good with that stuff. They do. Um, exclusive and private Facebook. Okay. If you need to talk, don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media. Check out our show notes, Facebook, Instagram, Instagram, YouTube. <laughs> we should start something called Instagram. Yeah, in Instagram. <laughs> I like that. Tweet us a twat. You twit. Apple Podcasts and wherever fine podcasts are sold five star reviews will be read on the air and we have a great way of closing <laughs> who are you talking to like people have never listened to us before <laughs> known proficient perfecto or progress not perfection have a good week guys see you next time be good be good